you found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, please help out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Excited to start off with a new season of the Curse of Oak Island. But before we do that, let me thank all the new patrons for this week. A special thank you to Baron Pawnbroker. Kind of sounds like a superhero name. Just saying. Uh, Oliver, Ryan, and Dilos. Uh, thank you guys so much for helping keep the show on the air. Um, speaking of Patreon, I did something new last night uh, or this past week when we uh, <laughs> during the airing of the show. Uh, I did a live thread on the Patreon site during the... Um, during the broadcast, and I just want to thank everyone who joined me for that. It certainly was a lot of fun. You guys are so great to talk to about this stuff. I can't say enough about uh, how much fun that was for me. Uh, you know, I got to admit, my wife has pretty much taken a uh, call me when they find something approach to this year. I got to hand it to her. She hung in there for eight years. It's only now that she's sort of checking out. Uh, but it does mean I'm pretty much watching the show by myself now. So uh, thankfully, I have you patrons to discuss this all with while the show is actually on. And again, thanks, everybody, for joining me. OK, a little different format this week. Usually I go over the emails that you guys have about last week's show and any questions you might have. Uh, but since we didn't have a show last week, uh, we don't have those emails to go to. So I'll just jump right in here. Uh, we had three hours of new Oak Island content this week with the drilling down sort of pregame show that they did, um, and then also the two-hour premiere. So we have a lot to go over, so let's just get kind of right into it, and I'll start off with the drilling down. Um, again, I call this sort of like a pregame show, and they've done this every year. Um, this one is titled uh, Dawn of the Dig. I, I mean, let me say right off the bat, these shows usually... Uh, at best, keep my attention. At worst, sometimes annoy me. Um, you know, Matty Blake seems like a wonderful guy, but his sort of enthusiasm every once in a while comes off a little phony to me, if I'm honest. And and we usually learn nothing from these things other than Matty's really excited um, and the guys are going to do a lot of work, you know. And there's a lot of these platitudes that happen. And the only thing so far in these shows that have been kind of important are these quick admissions of something they really didn't want you to know, but at least wanted to get out there. And I assume out of some sort of compulsion for honesty, um, for example, the best example of these, and there have been more than one, but the most obvious example of these is they ended a season, maybe season five or season six with this revelation that Gary Drayton had found a Roman pilum, which is the end of a spear, like the metal part of the end of a spear. I mean, they found some antiquities expert, and we left with all that. And it was on this show, months later, where Maddie just sort of admitted that that was wrong. That's not what it was. And he said it sort of in very passing, like not like it was obviously written and scripted in, but it wasn't really, uh, you know, they didn't say, we're going to make a correction here, folks. You know, that kind of thing. If you're really paying attention, you can catch these little things in these shows. But uh, usually that's all the substance we ever see here. Now, having said that, if the point of this show is to get us excited, I can't remember one of these drilling down preseason shows that did a better job of that 
than this one did. Uh, there was a great, um, this was a great piece of television, great hour of television. And by the time the premiere aired, man, I was ready to go. And I know everybody on the Patreon was ready to go too, you know, um, on the, during that discussion, our friend Matt put it best when he said, takes me one segment of drilling down to get pulled all the way back in. And you know what? For this show, I couldn't agree more. Now, that's usually not the case for me. But with this one, they, they just seem to, to map it out well, and they seem to throw in these little cookies. You know, uh, I'm not usually pulled in. I'm not one to get pulled in, to use that phrase, by these kind of shows. But this one did it. And by cookies, I'll get to that in just a second. It begins, like usual, with uh, Matty Blake walking across the causeway in his now familiar red plaid shirt, which seems very Canadian to me. I don't know, but um, he seems to wear the same shirt or the same kind of shirt in all of these. I guess that's probably true for a lot of people. But uh, Matty says here, and this is the kind of thing that usually turns me off, that the team has, quote unquote, taken it to a whole other level. He always says things like this. Um you know, and you just sort of ignore him most of the time. But it seems here that he might actually be understating it a little bit, especially in terms of what the team is actually doing themselves, right? And we'll learn more about that in just a second. He then says something like, quote, how does it feel? This is this is around the table now. He's in the war room now with the guys, and he's around the table. And he looks at the Laginas, and he said, how does it feel to be the team that has proven there are precious metals on Oak Island and then says that there are there's treasure on Oak Island. Now, that's pretty close to a direct quote. That is certainly what he meant to say. And the question I had right off the bat is, what? Are you, what are you talking about? Like, are, are we... Uh, have we found something? Is there something here that we're not, you know, do you know something that we don't know at this? When is this actually aired? Because when is this actually filmed? I mean, because when we last saw you, Maddie, what we had was a number on a test result from a water sample. That's hardly proving that there's a treasure on Oak Island, right? Who knows? Again, my assumption was that this would have was at first just Maddie being Maddie, like when he was a hundred percent sure that there was a ship in the swamp, even though we proved that there isn't, despite the fact that they're trying to put off that there still is. Um, but there will be more clues as this show goes on uh, that Maddie might be onto something a little bit here. And I don't want to get too excited. I don't want to get you too excited, but keep that in mind as we go. This is the cookies I'm talking about here, right? Now, having said that. And said all of that, I think that it's clear from the rest of this conversation with Maddie that the silver and the source of the silver is still very much um, a puzzle when this was recorded. It's still very much undetermined when it was recorded. Uh, and it really looks from this now, from this little start, that the money pit is going to be the focus of this season, or at least at the beginning of this season. Now, these shows never really have much to say beyond the first few episodes. Keep that in mind, right? We all get sort of hung up on trailers and these kind of things to see what might be coming, but it's almost always just pertinent for the first few episodes. But Steve Guptill kind of, you know, kind of uh, confirms this theory as he says, quote, treasure is in the money pit, but the story is in the swamp. 
Now, remember that whole other level, those cookies that I'm talking about, that comment that Maddie uh, made? Well, here's another bit of what I mean when Alex says that there is now, quote, a lot more technology here on the island. And I think that's the other level that we're, that Maddie's talking about. And we're going to learn a lot about that really in the show. It's going to be more than just a little bit here, you know. Okay. Rick says another one of those lines that makes me think, another one of those cookies, right, that makes me think Maddie might not be exaggerating when he says, quote, this year might be the year when we walk away at the end with something in our hands. Now, sure, guys in this team have said stuff like this before. I understand that. But boy, the way he said that, <laughs> exhumed a con- you know, showed us a confidence that we rarely see. We're going to have more on this in a little bit. There's going to be more of these cookies as we go by. Now, the team heads over to the swamp, I think, after a break. Uh, it looks very drained, and it looks like it's been drained for some time, as evidenced by the how green it is, right? So now, instead of water, we actually have uh, plants growing in place, which is what would happen when you drain a swamp, right? Uh, and I think Maddie might even point that out. And it's here we get our first hint of what I think will be another big, big storyline this season. It's something they refer to as the CCH, or more specifically, Nova Scotia's Department of Communities and Cultural Heritage. The long and short of it is this. They found something in the swamp, and the government has stepped in. Now, could this be related to indigenous peoples, what they found here in the swamp? Honestly, that's my first guess, and that's what I would think is would cause the Department of Communities, Culture, and Heritage to step in here. And again, there's going to be more on this in the show proper, but you're getting your first hint here of how government entanglement might be something of a story that we follow here. Now, Marty mentions in this, I just want to point this out, he mentions a couple of times that the government in whatever's happening here, which we haven't learned about really yet, is just suggesting that they do certain things that is going to slow everything down. They're not mandating it. There's not a law. But folks, make no mistake. You defy the government's suggestions (laughs) at your own peril, right? Because suggestions can become mandates and laws very quickly, especially when it comes to this kind of thing. So keep that in mind. Now, that ends sort of the first half hour, um, which was basically just all about the money pit and the swamp. And it seems, again, that these are the two biggest stories we're going to see, is the money pit and the swamp, and not some of the other places, right? So anyway, we come back from a break, and now we're off in one of these other spots besides the money pit and the swamp, this time Lot 4. Now, for those of you who don't have a map in front of you, Lot 4 is on the total opposite side of the money pit. It's three or, you know, it's three lots away from the western shore as opposed to the money pit, which is, you know, the Smith's Cove is next to it is on the eastern shore. So it's very opposite of of um, of the money pit area. Uh, it's a, an area that a lot of people like to see investigated, I guess, to try to get some sort of idea of who might have been here. Um, Alex talks more in here about new technology, saying they ran a very low frequency, a VLF scan that found something here on lot four. What he says has, quote, all the uh, pinnings or something like that of an underground cavity. 
and, and then there is this like talk about metal detecting in the area and this really laughable scene, like just annoying scene with Maddie and Gary Drayton, where Gary takes something out of his top pocket, you know, kind of getting a little annoyed of these little phrases that everybody thinks is funny. Um, and he pulls it out and, but they can't show us, you know, they got to hide it from us. Like we're a bunch of children who can't see something that we're inevitably going to see in a couple of weeks anyway, you know, <laughs> like as if there's a non-disclosure agreement for Maddie Blake's show. <laughs> there isn't folks. Uh, anyway, that just kind of, kind of bugged me a little bit. Uh, another spot they go to a little bit later, and this really interests me, is something called the Boulderless Beach. And we've talked about this before. This is a part of the beach where if you look all throughout um, the rest of the the shoreline of Oak Island, there are these big, giant boulders. This is something all over the, you know, the northern Atlantic coast, even in Maine and places like that, right? But this beach has none. And if you ever see a shot, and you will, so keep this in mind as you go, a shot of them sort of walking along the beach, you can actually see like a very defined spot where the boulders end and the boulderless beach begins. So it's really kind of cool that they're finally examining this. Um, and this is like, again, this is like a peculiar feature of the island, and it's I've always wanted to see a lot more of it, you know. They're also talking a lot more about things offshore including here on the boulderless beach. And that makes me wonder if there's been some uh, headway in permitting challenges that have always surrounded offshore investigation. Because if you've been paying attention, that's really kind of kept them from doing anything really, you know, um, really uh, intense and invasive offshore is that, I mean, you can't basically, you can't even pick anything up off the beach if you think it's valuable, off off under the bottom of the ocean without some sort of permit. Um, there's a lot of talk about here also here about something called muons. Uh, you know, this is a new sort of scanning technology. Uh, it's basically another technology aimed to sort of map the underground of uh, of Oak Island. I'm sure I'm, I'm going to have to read more about muons as my year goes by, I'm not looking forward to that, but uh, I will do so anyway. Uh, I'm not going to explain it here. Let's wait until it shows up on the show, and then we'll we'll tackle it then. Now, as the whole show ends, right, Marty makes another one of these cryptic and very exciting comments, one of these cookies that I'm talking about, where he says, quote, it feels like we're getting close to an endgame here. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? What's the end game? Oh, God, that kind of stuff. There was more of those things in here said with confidence than I've ever seen in one of these shows before. Uh, and like I said, there's there's a lot we can take from this particular drilling down this pregame show. And that's unusual for these shows. You know, for instance, we know of, there's a couple of things we know to take very close attention to as we go into the season. One, the money pit is the focus. And we need to learn more as a group, me, you, and all of us investigating here, need to learn more about this money pit stuff and this testing that's being done. We also need to know and be aware of the fact that the government is now paying very close attention, which maybe they haven't before. Now, part of that is because the government always thought this was just a treasure hunt in a big giant hole, and they didn't mind if the money pit 
was just excavated. I mean, had been for so many years. What's the difference if you're doing it now? But now we seem to be talking about things like, you know, indigenous peoples or maybe a secret British operation if you're Gordon Fader and Joy Steele, right? Now, now the government is interested because that's not treasure, not monetary treasure. That's something very, very different. As our... um. Patreon Ryan says the other thing to, th- to think about during our little discussion during the show is they are pumping some serious cash into this season. That is his quote. Uh, and they certainly are. And we need to pay close attention to that as we go on here, because this does seem to be that we're all in now. The chips are all in here and we're doing We're becoming self-sufficient here in Oak Island, which we really hadn't been up to this point. More on that as the show comes up. And I got to say this. And I think I said this before, if the goal was to pump us up, this Drilling Down show accomplished that goal. All right, we did it, folks. We made it through another off-season, and it's time now to discuss Season 9 Episode one, can't believe it's been nine seasons, of The Curse of Oak Island called Going for the Gold. We begin the season in this now very familiar way, right? A meeting in the war room. And uh, sort of like, it sort of make, makes us think that this is sort of the, the the mustering of the troops before the battle, right? You know, uh, and, and while we're watching the first few sequences, um, the drive onto the island. We always get that too, right? It usually starts with a familiar SUV being driven uh, to the war room with the Laginas and maybe Craig Tester or whoever they're they're there with at the time, right? One of our friends on the Patreon, Steve, he remarked, <laughs> Fellowship Village is really expanding a lot of double wides. Oh boy, and is he correct? As you go down, as you drive through, you see a lot more of these trailers and other things that are there. Um, now, and one of these trailers seems to be a really important new location on the island, but more on that in just a minute. Okay, every big, everything begins with sort of an appropriate recap of the silver testing done from last year. This is as before the meeting takes place, and I think that's important to do because, you know, it's been a while and we need to sort of reset our, ha- our, our brains here and what we're looking at. There's a lot of talk in this meeting about C1, borehole C1. That's the small hole that Charles Barkhouse picked the location of it. It was back in 2015, um, where they put a camera down and they saw some sort of shiny gold thing. But no matter what they tried, they could never recover it or ever identify what it is other than a metallic piece of gold on a very grainy and poor quality um, camera. The location, though, of C1 matters because that's the basic area where this silver testing was finding something of interest, right? So there's a the money pit's a big area and people have drilled all over the place, you know. But this seems to be the point where the testing is sort of locating uh, a new point of interest. You put these two together, right? The silver testing and the camera from C1 back in 2015, and now you have something for the narrator to gush over, and you have something for, you know, and also at the same time, a reasonable and logical place to drill some holes. Now, this is all, this first few minutes is basically an extension of the pregame show, right? This is all they're doing here in this war room meeting is just kind of going over the plan, which they just did for the last hour. But if you didn't watch that, they kind of do it here in sort of a Cliff Notes version, right? 
Um, they're going to test not only what they another thing they say is they're going to test not only for silver, which they found, uh, but they're also going to test for gold. Now, I didn't think that was possible or really very accurate or likely, but they're going to do it anyway. Uh, also, they tell us that they're going to use these huge 10 foot wide cans, these big giant <laughs> overgrown cans that they're going to dig into the money pit and then empty out to see what's there. The old ones were eight feet, so these are going to be bigger. I mean, I guess that's probably a lot more money and a bigger project. Um, I think the last time we saw one of these cans in, we started to see a collapse of one of them, didn't we? Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Laird mentions here in this thing also what we heard in the in the pregame show, which was the uh, Nova Scotia Department of Communities, Culture, and Heritage, or the CCH. And he says in here in this meeting, quote, they want more control over any search for past human activities. Again, leading me to conclude that this might have to do potentially with indigenous people, um, First Nations, uh, also leading me to conclude that, well, or to question, I guess is the better way to put it, that what he's talking about, what they discovered, was either something discovered before the season or something they discovered during the season. So then making me question whether or not um, <laughs> this show, this scene was actually shot at the beginning of the summer. Because he's sort of indicating that they already found some stuff, something of cultural significance, and the government wants to step in now. Because if it were something that he, if they're referring to something from last year, I think he would have made a bigger point of that. And the Stone Road, listen folks, the Stone Road, where they, they pass it off now as something that they've just discovered. It's not something. They may have just discovered some of the longer you know the the extent of it but it's something that's been there for a long time so i don't think that's the driver behind the cch involvement here i think there must be something else interesting to keep that in mind now for those worried about let me just mention this too as much as the government involvement makes marty obviously twitchy with <laughs> with worry um for us and for fans i think there's two ways to look at this. One, you could be the kind of person that just wants big bulldozers in and find the treasure. But there are also a lot of fans who talk about uh, and question to me the quote unquote brutal nature of their search methods. If you're one of those, then this is good news because the government is now making them pump the brakes on some of these non-money pit areas, right? Anyway, Let's move on. They mentioned a couple of spots in the island that we saw this week before we head to the swamp and the money pit. Uh, the first one was lot 13, and then we'll talk about lot 17. We see Gary and Peter metal detecting in lot 13. That's in the what he calls the uplands area. It's just north of the swamp. Um, the swamp is kind of a low-lying area, and then it kind of swoops up on lot 13. And uh, they find this weird piece of, I don't know what you call it, spiral metal. Um, and they take it to their sort of antiquities expert, Kelly Barassa, who we see in a lot, uh, who is now working along with somebody else there. There's a woman there um, in what's called the archaeology trailer, my new favorite place on Oak Island. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, now, this is using some of that new technology we mentioned in the pregame show that Alex was talking about. Um, so he's actually able to take it, clean it up really well, and then do a nice chemical analysis of it, which we used to have to go to some university lab to do, right? Um, 
the piece here that we're seeing definitely looks, after it's cleaned up, more decorative to me than it did when it first came out of the ground. First came out of the ground, it looked like a piece of slag or something like that. But now it looks almost decorative, like somebody tried to, to, to spiral it. And also it's made of lead as opposed to what Gary Drayton's first guess was using some strange tests with his metal detector. Um, he thought it was iron, but it's lead. Now, lead is different than iron and has different applications and different uses. Also, it also can be dated pretty accurately. So that's good news. So maybe we'll get some more on this as, as the season goes on. Now, I mentioned Lot 17. This is just west of the Money Pit. It's kind of between the Money Pit and the Swamp, not far really from Lot 13. Um, it's Gary and Peter again. And here they find a piece of a metal band. And they take it to our favorite guy, Carmen Leg. I love this guy. I love where he works. I love his accent. Everything about him I like. Um, and he says it's a piece of a band from a wagon or a cartwheel. Uh, again, a what I mean by this is they used to put metal bands around where a tire would go on a wheel, kind of to keep the wheel together in these old carts. And he is pretty, pretty certain that's what this is. Um, again, I don't, I don't take much out of this kind of evidence. I think this is evidence of a farming community, uh, which is 100% what Oak Island was. Okay, let's talk about the swamp here. Uh, we'll actually begin with a pretty fascinating war room meeting with Terry DeVoe. Uh, Terry's an interesting guy. He's got a really cool background. Um, he's sort of, uh, he's got a great hat too. Um, he is uh, currently the president of the New England Antiquities Research Association. We've seen him before. Uh, he's, you know, has that sort of spirit. Uh, <laughs> archaeologist cave diving look to him like he he once was sort of a uh, Indiana Jones type guy. Uh, he's he's really fascinated with ancient cultures and he seems to focus a lot on sort of early European journeys to the United States. Now here he's looking at the Stone Road and he makes a connection with the Portuguese with this. I'm not going to get into that very much because the problem with this show and the problem with this scene is that he just sort of says it looks Portuguese and then maybe they show another image and there's not really a whole lot of reason or given why a road made out of stones would indicate Portuguese rather than anyone else who wanted to create a hard surface to roll carts on over a swampy, boggy area. I have a hard time believing that only the Portuguese did this, but I'm not going to doubt him because he's the expert and I'm not, and I'm going to wait to hear more on this as we go. Does that make sense? But be that as it may, he uses some great aerial footage uh, and basically concluding what seems pretty obvious to me, that the stone road indeed extends offshore. It makes all the sense in the world. But what doesn't make sense is how little they included in what we saw here, right? For instance, the, 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 how do I put this? If I were Terry, the way I would present this is guys, it is obvious <laughs> that the road wouldn't end here. 
where it where you're where you're looking at right now on the island because if we think this is hundreds of years old hundreds of years ago the island was bigger it extended out more as the sea levels were lower so obviously this road must extend into the sea so we can take a look at that kind of stuff but he didn't he sort of made it sort of made it look like this was some sort of grand revelation i can't imagine why they th- they put it that way but anyway they also show um, another possible stone path from the money pit using an aerial shot from the 1930s. Um, where has this photo been? <laughs> and I, my first thought when I saw this was I have a hard time believing that this aerial photo is new to anyone and this stone road is new to anyone, which I'm pretty sure it isn't. There's been a lot of talk of cobblestone ancient cobblestone road possibilities in Oak Island for a very, very long time. Dan Blankenship discussed that kind of stuff. I'm sure Fred Nolan did too. Um, Anyway, be that as it may, this is a great little scene. Kind of gives you a cool little look at these aerial photos and where this stuff might go. Terry's a great resource. So once again, I think the editing failed them here, and maybe we'll hear more as we go in. Okay, so while we're talking about the swamp area, which we are, let's head now over to the swamp itself. And now... We see a big change from last year, right? We see that Laird Niven is the guy sort of involved in this. Um, And this is due directly to that CCH involvement, that, uh, what was it again, culture, communities, culture, and heritage department involvement. Uh, The other archaeologists we've seen, including Miriam Amaralt and and, and everybody else that you've seen there, um, they don't work for the government. They're people brought in by, I guess, the show or by the Laginas to do archaeological work here, but they have no governmental restraints for what they do, and they're not a person that is a representative of the government. Laird Niven is. So that's why Laird has done the excavation of what they already knew were potentially cultural significant places like the Samuel Ball lot and places where the government did not want anybody coming in with excavators, but instead wanted an actual uh, archaeological, um, you know, dig done over there. So now it appears as though that's what we're going to have here at the swamp too, as Laird is now overseeing this stuff. Um, so anyway, the team is digging around through this swampy area, you know, trying to follow the road again, and uh, they find pieces of a barrel. At one point, one of these pieces of a barrel appeared to have red paint on it, which is interesting. Um, they've seen quite a few of these pieces over the years in the in the uh, in the swamp area. Gary then finds a small round, what I would call goldish piece of metal. Um, I mean, as soon as he pulled it out, I said to my wife, "That's a that's a cog in a in a watch." You know, you could tell just from looking at it. If you've ever opened up an old fashioned watch, an old mechanical watch, you you've seen these things before, and it's clearly not a piece of gold treasure or anything like that. Anyway, they take it to my new favorite place, the archaeology trailer, and they clean it up and examine it. It's made of brass. Um, it's not gold. And it honestly, it's not very interesting to me because you'll find this anywhere you find, you know, human activity over the years, things like this, you know. Um, but this piece of equipment <laughs> does the tests for the chemical makeup. This is awesome. I love this. Like I said before, just imagine how many trips to local university chemistry labs. We don't have to sit through anymore. They could just do it right here and we get it all right immediately. You know, We don't have to wait two episodes. Anyway, 
Later, we see the team digging over at the Stone Road, which they're now calling, interestingly, the Stone Wharf, or at least the narrator is. Find that fascinating. They find some pottery. And later, Rick pulls out this beautifully preserved piece of wood. And as he pulled it out, I thought my head went knew exactly what I thought it was. Um, and it looks to me, <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where, where he pulls it out and my wife happened to be sitting there and I said to her, that's one of those things on ships that you do with the ropes and the, th-, you know, I couldn't, I have no idea what the name of it is. Uh, but I immediately, you know, the next day called my father who knows these kind of things. He's a licensed captain. And he told me this is called the belaying pin. Now, these have been replaced with like cleats and winches and things like that. But what they were is as you would pull ropes in to put up or pull, I should say lines. My father's ready to kill me. Pull lines in, in to, towards you to hoist sails. You didn't want those what was left of those excess lines just lying on the deck to be a hazard. So you, you know, tie them up and leave them on these belaying pins. Uh, and they were they're all over. If you look at the find an old um, rigging on a sailing ship and look at the bottom of where the rope ladder is that you would see crew climbing up the rope ladders. Right. Look at the bottom of that and you'll see. The bottom of those usually has five or six of these belaying pins. That's the first thing it looked like to me. And I'm sure that's where they're going to go with this. However, (laughs) upon examining it a little bit more, I realized from looking at it, I mean, this could be anything. This could be off a chair leg. This could be from a coffee table. I mean, it could be anything. And I'm fascinated by the fact that they did not follow up with it in this show. That kind of worries me a little bit. So listeners, keep this in your head and remind me sometime if we go a couple of weeks without talking about this thing again, then I was obviously wrong. This was not a belaying pin and instead something much more mundane. Anyway, that's it for the swamp. Let's take a short break here. and We'll come back and talk about the big one, the money pit. All right, it's time to talk about the money pit. Now, let me say this again. In the last couple of years, I would say the money pit has been relegated to what we would call sort of equal status with other places on the island. You know, over the years, like Smith's Cove or certainly the last couple of years, the swamp. Uh, But we seem to be back to the early part of the Curse of Oak Island's history. And certainly for the (laughs) remaining 200 plus years of of the treasure hunt, which has always been focused around digging in the money pit seems like we're right back to that point again. The first work we see is um, Dr. Spooner, and he's collecting new water samples used to find what we're being told is traces of gold. Now, during this, I want to just mention this. During this, Spooner actually tastes the water. Uh, And I think (laughs) this was done for no other reason than to kind of get everybody to go, ew, you know. But I'm fascinated that they kept this in and that it made the final cut. I know why, because it created sort of this reaction of people going, you know, but Spooner tastes it and says it's fresh. It's full of minerals, but it's fresh. Uh, So am I the only one who realizes then that water that we have down there in this spot is obviously not 
part of a booby trap system leading from Smith's Cove? I mean, that wouldn't be fresh. <laughs> now, maybe I'm making too much of this. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't. I should be expecting it, but this seems pretty logical to me that we're into a natural spot if we're getting fresh water, not some sort of booby trap system made by the Knights Templar. Anyway, later on, we see uh, Dr. Spooner uh, calling the team with his results uh, in his house, <laughs> and he's joined by somebody named Dr. Pierre K. Pufal. It's going to be a tough one to say. Uh, Dr. Pufal is a PhD. He's a professor of sedimentology and geochemistry, my old job, at uh, Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. You know where Kingston is? Kingston is right on the banks of uh, Lake Ontario. It's it's really right where the St. Lawrence sort of empties into the lake itself. Now, Dr. Pufal does this new test for gold. And according to his tests, and we've got very preliminary results here, it's just maybe keep us excited and keep us watching. He indeed found traces of gold in some of the shafts where traces of silver were also found. He calls them, quote unquote, elevated trace concentrations of gold. Now, the experts um, call this exciting. Spooner and Pufal call this exciting. And they and these amounts shouldn't be found, that these amounts shouldn't be found in normal waters. Uh, Marty points out obvious thing here, but important, I think. He says that it's interesting that this is that there is not gold in all the water, right? Or and the same could be said of the silver. His conclusion is that this indicates that they're not picking up something natural that he would imagine would be found in all the water samples, but instead something concentrated, you know, like a treasure vault. Um, now that seems logical to me, but I, I think I got to pump the brakes here again because I don't really know. I, I don't know if that is what you would find. Who knows? There's going to be more on this testing and this stuff at the end of the show. So let's let's hang on to that. Uh, we see the choice drilling guys show up and they start digging small boreholes in the area. Um, and what they what they're doing here is they're kind of um, getting some base information. And they do this. They poke holes in to see if they can locate a good spot to put one of these cans in, which is much more invasive, much more expensive, takes a lot longer. So they get sort of what we would call put some data together before they decide exactly where to pound in one of these giant cans. The first hole they poke down here is called DE7. They find some wood at the depth uh, of nine, under 90 feet, I think, here. And there's more wood later on in the show. And this leads them to a lot of talk about the chapel vault. Now, We've all talked about the Chapel Vault many, many times, but it is the first episode of the season, so I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to just explain to you again what the Chapel Vault is. So we go back to 1897, where a full 100 years plus after the discovery of the money pit, and a company comes to the island uh, called the Oak Island Treasure Company. They're led by two big, big names in Oak Island treasure history, William Chapel and Frederick Blair. They're digging uh, drill holes down to the money pit. This is when they're doing bore holes, not very different from the ones you're seeing here. Um, and at 122 feet, they came across wood. Four feet further down, they come across iron. At 145 feet, they hit what they thought might first have been a natural sandstone, but they later determined, you know, in their determination, is that it was concrete and seven inches thick. The drill then passes through five inches of solid oak, followed by four inches of what they determined 
was soft metal. Of course, they didn't bring any metal up. They didn't bring any coins up, but that's what they determined. After that, they went through what they determined were more small bits of metal. And it was never determined or or stated, as far as I can tell, that this was any precious metal of any kind. Like it wasn't like you know gold coins. Um, and that and also famously, this is where they pull up the drill bit that had that piece of parchment on there. So you can see why um, this is an exciting place to try to find, right? And that's what they're going after here. So there's a lot of talk about the chapel vault because of wood. And they're also because they think they're thinking they're in this general area. That kind of ends the digging portion of the show. But at the end, we get another war room meeting. And this time we have Dr. Spooner, Dr. Pufal, and friend of the show, Dr. Matt Lukeman, who you can go back and listen to him talk more about this. I really recommend you do. If you haven't heard that podcast, a couple podcasts back, we talked to Matt Lukeman, who is the guy who did the initial silver tests. And there's a lot of information on there that's pertinent to what you're going to see. So go back and listen to that. Okay. According to the test results now, now we're seeing them all in front of us. There are four holes with what is considered elevated levels of gold elevated from the normal average that one would find in seawater or river water. This fascinates me because there's two things we know are not comparable. (laughs) It's not a river and we know it's not seawater. So I'm not really a hundred percent sure why we're comparing the, a level of gold found in those two things rather than the levels of gold found in, I don't know, freshwater wells drilled in the surrounding area. That would seem to me to be a more uh, pertinent kind of way to compare this. Why we're comparing it to seawater, I really don't know because Dr. Spooner already knew from his disgusting flavors that um, it's not seawater. Be that as it may, the experts here are determined to, uh, are, are, are certain these are elevated levels. Um, they're sporadic, so there's some in other holes, right? Um, but then Dr. Pufal says this, quote, it's either coming from the till, coming from the bedrock, or something buried down there. And that's the point I'm making. So if we're concerned or if we're if our comparison needs to if that of those are our three choices why don't we start with comparing the levels of gold found in surrounding areas till or bedrock or something underground not in a river or in the ocean because we're not taking water from rivers or oceans am i wrong on this guys I really did not understand this, but again, I always go back to the fact that these things, these episodes and these scenes are so chopped up, it's almost impossible to really figure out what these guys said. Who knows? Maybe they did show that and it just wasn't as exciting as this one. Who knows, right? Pufal says they need to do some more samples and they need to sample the soil. So obviously we're going to see some of this as we go on. Uh, the hole of interest and one that we're going to probably have to put into our uh, our lexicon, our, our vocabulary for this year is F4. 
This is um, the one that seems to be the biggest indicator, the biggest reading of both the silver and gold. It also seems to be the hole nearest to C1. So uh, we'll keep F4 in mind as we go on. Exciting stuff. I got to tell you, I thought this was maybe the best three hours of Oak Island television I've watched in quite some time. This was a lot of fun. And I think this is certainly the be leads me to believe that the beginning of season nine is going to be a great ride for all of us. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. How about some shameless plugs? I do another podcast called Sit Downs and Sessions. Me and my friend and radio host uh, Chris Poe sit down over a couple of drinks and we talk about pubs, hopefully in pubs, music. We talk about politics, the paranormal, you know, basically anything two very old friends would talk about while uh, bellying up to a bar, right? Give it a listen. You can find Sit Down and Sessions anywhere, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual places. Also, I'm back on the air as a DJ. If you have your Wednesday afternoons off uh, from 2 to 5 p.m., you can find me hosting a show from 2 to 4 p.m. called the Bourbon Street Bistro, and uh, that plays the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5, I host a show called Island Vibes, where I play a music with a kind of a tropical feel to it. This is all on WDVR-FM. This is a community radio station out of West Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, it's an all-volunteer station. It's a really a fantastic radio station. You can just go to WDVRFM.org to hear that or um, tell Alexa to turn on WDVR. Apparently, that works. <laughs> Don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. Uh, if you think this show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to Patreon.com uh, to learn more. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, please, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Um, thank you so much to everyone who's done that already. I really do appreciate the kind words, and I really do appreciate you just taking the time to do that. It helps get the show out to other um, listeners, and that's always a good thing. And again, if you want to get your questions and comments, I love to make that a normal part of these uh, episodes during the, of these podcasts during the actual airing of the seasons. Um, get your comments or questions directly to me via email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. And keep in mind, if you do that, I'm probably going to answer it here on the podcast. Also, if you send a direct message on social media, same thing. I might answer it here on the podcast. If you don't want me to... Um, if you don't want me to read the message aloud to everybody, just make a note of that. And also just have a little patience and listen to the next show for your answer. And again, don't forget you can follow the show on social media, Facebook and Twitter. We're at Diggin' Oak Island. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Diggin' Oak Island.